0: We are not good
1: enough in doing what we know what has to be done. Hey, Space Watchers! This is Space Café Radio, on tour in Lausanne. Your channel about trends, great people and awesome conferences. I'm Thorsten, publisher of SpaceWatch.global. Global. you just listened to Tim Flora, the head of ESA's Space Debris office, beginning of May... I had the chance to attend the LEO Kinetic Space Safety Workshop at the EPFL, supported by AXA XL, LEO Labs, ClearSpace, Secure World Foundation, and the EPFL eSpace Center. It was a great pleasure talking with Tim Flora and learning about his perspectives. Enjoy our conversation.
0: My name is Tim Flora.
1: I'm the head of the Space Debris Office at ESA.
0: I'm working from ESA's operations center in Darmstadt, Germany. Uh, I have a background in uh, astronomy and physics, and I also studied geodesy. And since 2007, I'm at ESA in Darmstadt.
1: What is the Space Debris Office
0: doing in general? Well, there's a number of roles that we have. First of all, and when we think about the day-to-day business, we are providing services to our missions. And there's also a good reason why we are at Darmstadt, where where our missions are operated. So that means we do collision avoidance. We make sure that our missions are safe in terms of collision risk with space debris and also other objects that could come in their way. We are also supporting uh, the analysis of predicted reentries of space debris objects. And in case it comes to contingency situations, then uh, also space debris is always a question that has to be addressed. But besides these rather operational tasks, we are also very much involved in technology developments. So at ESA, we have a space safety program. And there, the office is supporting, obviously, all the technology developments related to space debris. And that's an absolutely fascinating topic. And finally, when it comes to international collaboration and space-table research, we are also a focal point for building models, preparing tools, and coordinating with international partners and also in standardization bodies. And that is, I would say, last but not least, because this is all also a
1: absolutely a mandatory topic to address the space-table problem. We are here in Lausanne at the Kinetic Space Safety Workshop. How? And it sounds like a fraction of the space situational awareness, space debris topic. So it's first, it's LIU, it's just kinetic. So how much cover is that covered by your work?
0: Yeah, you're right. It's only a part of the space debris problem, but it's, I would say, and I think most people here agree to this, the most pressing one because it's uh, debris is getting extremely crowded not only by the deployment of these large constellations, and there are several uh, that, we, that we have to expect to be there, but also by the constant and ongoing threat of uh, fragment generation of the mistakes of the past. Mm-hmm. So in the past, we left large upper stages and also other objects in orbit. And that means we are seeing constantly fragmenting fragmentation events of those. And that means the small debris population will also grow in parallel to the deployment of large constellations. So... If we put these two together, we see what he's called here an increase of space traffic in LEO. And uh, that raises, I think, uh, two questions that came out prominently here. One is the operational question, addressing the short-term risk. So I introduced already collision avoidance. That is a necessity. And the question here is how do we do this more effectively, Mm -hmm. more efficiently as well, because it's a cost driver. But okay, this is the short-term risk. And on the long-term risk, it raises the question of space sustainability. So how much do we consume of the resource orbital environment? And how do we make sure that it's fairly used and distributed? And these are quite important questions that need to be addressed. And you're right that these uh, topics are also applicable to other orbital regimes. But in LEO, as
1: I said, it's most urgent and it's probably correct to start here. You open the box of Pandora for a handful of questions. What is Europe's role? What can Europe provide first of all to this entire regime in terms of measurements, data, Let's start here.
0: Yeah, in Europe, first of all, we are operating satellites. So we are using the resource. It's not a question of what can be. No, we have to. And so we have to collaborate with the other users of the regime.
1: That means what? usually as an operator, you have your agreement with JSPOC, you get the data from there and then you are fine. So that's where most start. But I I'm, can't imagine that's what either is satisfied with. Exactly. So this is where you start, but it's not sufficient
0: because today the traffic is so dense that you also have to collaborate with the others there. You have to exchange information on on your orbits, on your plans. And that's something to be discussed here. And Europe has to do it. We as ESA have to develop the technology that we can do this. So we have in the space safety program an element that addresses collision risk estimation. And there we look into operator coordination. We are looking into automation of the decision line. And and also we look into uh, late commanding paths so that we get better there. And this is technology development. And there Europe is great. And the aim is to demonstrate that. On the other hand, and coming back to the long term aspects, uh, what you need there is models. You need uh, data. You need measurements to validate and calibrate the models. And there's absolutely interesting topics led by European researchers that address space sustainability. They look into environmental consequence analysis. They look into matrix to measure the consumption of the resource. They start in looking at space as a capacity. And the question is how much do you consume? And this is A concept that may help in the future to support national regulators or coordinators of space traffic to find fair rules for the future. And there, Europe is good. We have a very good backbone of
1: expertise and we are ready to share these, of course. I'm pleased to hear when you say Europe is good, but as we have seen from the past, to be good is not enough today. Others will come with other technologies that might be not as good as yours, but still dominating the market. We heard communication and transparency are two major obstacles at the moment in this field when it comes to collision avoidance before we go into automation. So where is Ether on that? Do you have a red phone? We indeed have a phone. It's not a red phone, but when
0: we do collision avoidance, we have somebody on call carrying a phone that he or she can be reached at any time to initiate the necessary actions. And that uh, number is known to the other operators in in databases. So... But I think this is the minimum that every operator has to do. So I would not let say ASA is special here, hopefully not. But what we are doing is, for instance, when we look at the space environment, we we assess the compliances of the users with the existing guidelines. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned something very, very prominent. We are not good enough in doing what we know what has to be done. And uh, this environmental report is updated every year. It just came out a few weeks ago in April. It's public, so everybody can have a look at it. And in terms of information sharing and raising the awareness, I think this is an excellent contribution that ESA can do. Behind that report generation, there are models. So our models are available to any user in the world. We have also software to assess space debris mitigation activities for your mission design. Also those you can download and use, that is something which is very close to ISA's genes to share such tools and make them available to the community. But beyond that, of course, we have expertise. This goes into standardization where every operator benefits from. And as being a technology developer, an enabler, as we all said before, we work with European industry, with the academia. And also to support these very rapidly accelerating startups in commercialization activities for topics related to space debris mitigation, space debris monitoring, but also active debris removal. And that's something we do under the Space Safety Programme. So there's a whole bunch of things we, we do, and I'm happy to be part of this, to say
1: it. It's undoubtable that ESA is producing in-depth studies and white papers and documents are in a very transparent and appropriate way. Think Nobody is questioning that. The question is more how to communicate it to a general public, to mass media, to people on the street. I think we are far away from getting people on street aware of where we are with space slash space awareness. Or how do you see that? What what are you guys doing? Yeah, to some extent, I, I have to agree that if you
0: talk to somebody who is not dealing with space professionally or has an interest uh, in this when it comes to asking okay do you know how dependent you are in your daily life from space applications do you know how many apps on your mobile phone are using space as a resource or either through data or, or, or for navigation This is correct. I think we have to get better in communicating that space is an indispensable part of our daily life. And that is when it comes to space debris, it it comes to certain risks that this remains available Mm -hmm. for all future and also for next generations when it comes to sustainability. Now, what we are doing in this, we are trying a lot of things. I can certainly say that the topic of space debris and space sustainability is getting better known out there. And hopefully this interview is also contributing to that over the last year. So we have produced short movies showing that the last one was released last year. It's named Time to Act. Mm. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. We also did very good communication together with the UN on infographics, short yeah. infographics, yeah. translated in all the major UN languages now. That was really, really successful. It's really amazing how much effort goes into producing a single A4 sheet with only a few words so that it's effective. So this is out, but you're right. Uh, only those who are actually interested in this and searching for it will find it. What we need to get better is also reach out to those that are not genuinely interested in space, but they also become aware of the dependency on our daily life from space applications.
1: What we all need for a sustainable space is the backing the support of politicians and political will political money and politicians are driven by their voters the, the the power of the street, not really when it comes to space, but I think we we have to be better in that, coming back to the topic of the uh, of the conference, do you see space debris to be manageable in the near future that's A really tough question because it has multiple... I know, we are (laughs) Space Watch.
0: Because it has multiple dimensions. It will be really hard to do something about the mistakes we made in the past. So stuff that is up there and to remove it in the near future, as you said, is a challenge. But we have to do it. Otherwise, we risk of ending up in a rundown situation.
1: So you're referring to the big metal bodies, so the first stages or second stages Excellent. that are still up there. I'm referring to mainly the big objects,
0: mainly rocket bodies and higher altitudes in Leo, those that bring a lot of potential for creating more fragments. When it comes to large constellations, I'm positive in seeing here, especially also again today, the awareness by the operators that sustainability topics, collaboration with others in the domain is taken up. And they really have it in their design. And I mean, the future will show how good it's to be implemented. This is nothing I can predict. It's just the future. It's, and it's not a physical problem. It's a behavioral problem. But finally, what I think is relevant for managing it, actually, also the awareness that we have a natural resource which we are risking to lose. And that makes it a question of, finally, you said it, of money. Space is vast, but it's not, or no longer
1: for free, I would say. The relevant orbits are taken already. And at the moment, we have less than a handful of big constellations out there. In the planning, in the filing, there are much, much more, as you just alluded to. They're coming not all from one country. They're not all coming from the countries that we consider as friendly. So how do you coordinate when we are not able to coordinate with these countries here on Earth, then in space? That's a topic that is, again, mostly a political
0: question. Among the engineers, and I'm an engineer, their readiness to exchange is there. I mean, they all understand the problem. We have technical bodies like the IADC, the Interagency Debris Coordination Mm -hmm. Committee, where countries that do spaceflight are members and information is exchanged there. We have platforms hosted by some countries where orbital data is exchanged. And again, it's a political question whether everybody has access to it. There's nothing that ESA can answer or ESA can do anything about it. But what we can do is certainly by being an example of doing it responsibly, of operating safely and to share these expertise. That, unfortunately, is where we are a bit limited to. And
1: uh, you're right, this is not satisfactory, but engineers also live in a real world sometimes. Absolutely, and I, I hope that engineers live in a real world. What can we all do to address this problem in an appropriate way? Sure, call your politician would be one answer, but how can we create this awareness and work against that? Among all the other problems we have, it's not a singular problem or, and a singular issue, and it does not get the highest attention. I mean, we have climate change, we have the Ukraine war, we have the pandemic, which is not over. So, And then you come with space.
0: And I come with another problem where you see the effect of our today's uh, mm. actions in 50 years or 100 years or 200 years. You're right. And that's uh, it's a communication problem. Sure. But that's why we are here. But on the other hand, every user of space as an infrastructure, let it be on your apps or on your mobile or when you buy a navigation system, whatever, should spend some thoughts on How sustainable is that provider in their design of the system? Of course, this is rather complex to understand. And therefore, there's a a few interesting developments, which I recommend to be followed up by everybody. There are sustainability ratings under development, and they give you an easy to understand figure of how much this satellite is consuming from the resource like something to be compared with these energy stickers you have on, on your fridge, something like this in very easy terms. This is close to be rolled out. And I think it makes a lot of sense to question when I buy something, has sustainability of space utilization be considered in that product or service?
1: Isn't that an idealistic Earth thinking? Because at the end, money will decide it. We have the highest inflation in Germany since the war came down. We are in a crunch point in Europe with, with tensions which have been unseen for very, very long time. And now we should look at, is the service sustainable that we get from space? My point is, we had this discussion in the energy sector because, hey, my power comes from my power plug at home. And I don't care where it's come from as long as it costs me 30 euro cent and not 60. Isn't that a potential threat for the SSR before it is even started? There is some idealistic Part
0: in there, right? But I think this is no longer such a critical thing because they're really getting into something operational. And I see regulators looking into this, also asking whether these parameters can become part of the regulation of spaceflight. I think we are at a tipping point. So something about what you hear here on the corridor on a tipping point where those considerations go from what you said, idealistic academic parameters to concrete actions in the regulations. So I expect to see this in the next years to be implemented and then it will be accessible.
1: Regulation on what level? Let me ask closer here. Regulations on a national level, regulation on an international, on a global level, on the UN level or driven by a country? So how do you see that? We have the LTS adapted at the UN, but is it implemented? We're working on that. But what is the body for this regulation?
0: I'm not a regulator. I have to say that. I can comment on the facts that I'm seeing. So there is space law in several countries. This space law is following the same principles. It is using this similar uh, considerations to be designed. And in some countries, it's actually also updated to stay along with the developments. I think the most likely steps we will see in the near future is national space laws. And it's an expectation that these are coordinated by our same technical assumptions. When you talk to space lawyers working at international level, they, what I hear, and I said, I'm not a regulator, I can only repeat this, it's rather unlikely that international law will come in the very near future. Mm-hmm. So, because it requires consensus and that is quite difficult to achieve.
1: Can you end for me on a positive note with a positive statement or positive outlook?
0: You're asking a space debris guy to give you a positive note. That's really the toughest question today. No, joking aside, I think on a positive note, and there were some colleagues here who looked back 20 years and how it looked at that time. When I see the development over the last 20 years from being a a bit of a niche topic in the academic community, and I apologize to my colleagues out there, but this is how I saw it when I entered the, the area, to a topic where you have insurers, agencies, venture capitalists, startups, gathered here from several countries and all sharing the same view on the need to act sustainably. I think this is a very positive development and I'm happy to see many young colleagues joining here because they see this as a field for action also for their future careers and I can only say that this is an extremely positive development and I think this is worth to share here.
1: Thanks for listening to Space Cafe Radio on tour in Lausanne at the Leo Kinetic Space Safety Workshop at EPFL in cooperation with AXAXL, Leo Labs, ClearSpace, Secure World Foundation and the EPFL eSpace Center. If you want to stay on the pulse of space, visit our website, our mothership, at spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. But of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Torsten Krinning. CEO and publisher of spacewatch.global, your independent perspective of space.